0: You really get in the zone for this. It's nice.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to...
0: Happy Tears! I'm Brandon. And I'm Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art they love so much so... So much so? So much so... That it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, Caroline... And Coraline. A new album from Caroline Polachek called Pang. Caroline Polachek is the former lead singer of the band Chairlift. And this is the first solo release under her... Given name. Given Christian name. (laughs) And then Coraline. Because it is spooky season and Nick is a scaredy boy. Coraline is about as scary as he's willing to get. We revisit the 10-year-old... Stop-motion animation, dare I say, classic? I don't know. What do you think?
1: I'd say it's there. Oh, shit! This is Happy Tears. <laughs> well, do you have any uh, recommendations for us this week, Nick?
0: Man, you know, I've been listening to a lot of James Blake. heard of him, because we have mentioned him before. We have mentioned him, and I believe there's already some James Blake on our... Happy Tears Mixtape playlist. But I'm going to add one more song, I think, just because I really like the song Don't Miss It. So I think I'm going to put that on there because that's my favorite. What do you like about it? I like the lyrics. I really, really love... When he played it live, not at ACL proper, but at the ACL late night show that I went to, he played it... I mean, it was pretty similar to the studio track, but the that s- loop sample of the female vocal track... That is looped throughout the the song is just so beautiful and like kind of haunting and I couldn't really hear the lyrics when he played it live but now that I've gone back I think the lyrics are beautiful it's just a song about living in the moment appreciating what you have and and uh, trying to get the most out of life because sometimes you reach a moment when you look back and you realize you could have you could have done more with what you had
1: yeah really yeah I think that album was a little bit slept on i mean it's a big release and they had the the uh you know he has his track with travis scott that got pretty big but in terms of how it was reviewed i don't feel like it had a long i don't know i didn't hear it talked about for a long amount of time so but i still it's one of them it'll be in my top 20 albums of the year probably yeah i think there's a lot of great stuff especially after like the first three or four tracks i think the middle and back half of the album are really really great totally agree Cool. Uh well there's a guy named Andy Schaff. He's a Canadian boy. And he just released a new single titled Things I Do. And he's got an album called The Neon Skyline that's set to release January twenty fourth of twenty twenty. I love this guy. He put out an album called The Party back in two thousand sixteen and it was another one of those Leaper albums that I think will end it'll end up on my decade list. Oh wow. Um
0: what kind of music? It's really
1: cool. It's kind of laid back, almost like a comforting melancholy is kind of the vibe of it.
0: That's right up (laughs) my alley.
1: (laughs) He's got a really unique voice and his songwriting on this album, I love kind of like concept albums in general. This album is kind of full of 10 songs that are all vignettes of being kind of like a they're vignettes of being at a party and kind of being the person in the corner, just observing and all of these little interactions between like these characters at the party. And it's just, it's really good. It's a nice like cloudy day album as well.
0: But the song that you're recommending is a newer thing?
1: Yeah, the song I'm recommending is is not, um, it's just a, a new track that he just uh, released and he had a... a I think it released last year with a band called Fox Warren, but this is another solo record from him, and that track's titled Things I Do. I'm really, really looking forward to the record. He's just a really, really great songwriter, so. Cool. Stoked. Throw it on the playlist.
0: So last week on the podcast, we asked far too many questions of the listeners. <laughs> Among them, uh, if Funyuns still exist. They do they do did you look into it yeah uh, (laughs) yes well that's good to know we also threw out what is your favorite book and what food would it be and then we asked what your favorite pop culture robot is and that was the one that we actually followed up on on instagram and put out like a poll question and so i have some responses on people's favorite robots let's hear them uh let's see our friend jake said johnny five Natalie agreed with you on The Iron Giant. Her boyfriend, Tim, was a big fan of Ava from Ex Machina. Ah. Yeah, great movie. So good. Both of our girlfriends said Wally. Matt Kennedy
1: also said Wally. Wow. Yeah, Wally is, is fantastic. I, I didn't even think about him in our...
0: You ready for this? Mm-hmm. I've never seen Wally. <laughs> Damn, I wasn't ready, dude. You weren't ready for that? <laughs> Bombshell. <laughs> so Tess...
1: It's her favorite robot, and you don't know it. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen
0: it. Like I'm aware of Wally, <laughs> aware of Wally. Um, the We Are Us podcast throughout Android Seventeen, which is another Dragon Ball Z thing. Like I, I think I mentioned on on the episode last week. So thanks, We Are Us podcast, for throwing that out there. And I think that's it. So thank cool. you guys. Got some good feedback. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. You can always. Leave us a voice message at happytearspod.com or hit us up on the Instagram like our friends did for that one. So, one thing I did want to bring up I'm doing kind of a personal, I'm on a personal crusade as we approach the crusade. (laughs) It's a crusade, (laughs) Brandon. (laughs) All right. As we approach the end of the decade, obviously a lot of publications are doing reviews and rewinds back through the 2010s, the best movies, the best albums, the best of the decade, right? So what I'm personally trying to do is to, for the next basically two, two and a half months, I'm going to be rewinding and uh, trying to catch up with as many of the best movies of the decade as i can i've got a whole list there's like 65 of them now so i know i won't get to all of them i've got it broken up between my favorites the ones that other people loved that i think i should revisit and then the blind spots so i'm gonna figure out the best way to put that list out there so people can help me shape it and craft it
1: yeah that's a good idea
0: um i don't know exactly how i'm gonna go about doing that but i will post about it once once it's out there um, I was able to catch up with The Killing of a Sacred Deer the other day. That movie is nuts. It was very good. And that's uh you know, Yorgos Lanthimos film that a lot of people really liked. And I also caught up this isn't on wasn't on the list, but I also caught up with the movie Game Night the other night. Oh yeah. R rated comedy. Wasn't bad. It was pretty, pretty funny. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah. So among some of these films. On my list, um, kind of towards the top are Moonlight, A Ghost Story, Call Me By Your Name, Hunt for the Wilder People, Get Out, Manchester by the Sea, Mad Max, Fury Road, Arrival, Interstellar, Uh, There's a bunch more in the Movies I Loved category. Some of the ones that I'm going to revisit because I wasn't... It's not that I didn't like them, it's just that I didn't fully get maybe how great they are or why everyone else thought they were so great. If Beale Street Could Talk, Annihilation, Drive, The Lobster are some of those. And then some of the blind spots, the ones I haven't seen are movies like The Tree of Life, The Master, Jackie, Twelve Years a Slave, The Revenant. So... I've got a very long list like I said I'm going to figure out a way to share that but I would love people to submit maybe what their favorite movie of the decade was or things that maybe they think were slept on and really help me figure out what I need to catch up with before January 1st.
1: You know I'll do it.
0: I know you will. So yeah, so that'll be a thing. <laughs> So the first topic of discussion today is a new album entitled Pang by an artist named Caroline Polachek. This is uh, kind of an experimental pop album.
1: Yeah, or art pop, alternative pop, somewhere in there.
0: So I had never heard of Caroline Polachek before. This was a suggestion by my lovely co-host Brandon.
1: A little background
0: on Caroline and her previous project. So the first big project would be Chairlift, the band. Right. They formed in 2005. Uh, They released their debut album in 2008 called Does You Inspire You? They had two more albums come out, one in 2012 called Something, and then one in 2016 called Moth. Songs that people might know, there was a song called Bruises on their first album that uh, was featured in an Apple commercial for the fourth generation iPod Nano that if you haven't listened to this band, you may have at least heard this song from a TV commercial.
1: Yeah. I tried to do handstands for you, I tried to...
0: the other big track that i know was called i belong in your arm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's on that second one. It's 2012. on 2012. Okay, cool. Yeah, that that one's titled something. That's the one i've listened to most. I like them a lot and their sound is super
0: cool. When looking back at the chairlift stuff, uh, I found a live performance on YouTube of a cover of Party by Beyoncé, which is super cool. So yeah. I'm just going to throw that in the show notes because that's the coolest thing I found. I, I like their some of their singles. I like their music, but that cover's really fucking cool. After that band broke up in 2016, Caroline uh, released a solo album under a different pen name or artist name. Right. Ramona Lisa was that name. That was in 2014. Uh, and she's also contributed to other people's projects, including Beyoncé, Blood Orange...
1: I think she has a composing credits on Travis Scott, The Birds, and The Trap Sing McKnight.
0: And so she has a lot of credits, both as a vocalist, but also a writer and producer. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, songwriter and composer. Yep.
0: But this is the first album released under her actual name. Correct. So what did you think of this album?
1: I really love it. I feel like there's not a ton of albums in the pop sphere that really, I guess, excite me or I feel sounds like a fresh voice or something like that. And I I definitely think this one does. So I like that about it. I love all of the kind of different genres that fuse or just different elements from uh, different genres fuse pretty seamlessly on this. And um, her vocals are pretty nuts. So yeah, I'm excited to hop into this.
0: Do you look at pop albums differently than other
1: genres? Because I think I do. Um, I don't think particularly, but I guess... Some of them have different functions in my life, I think, is maybe how I'd go about that. Like Maybe some are just fun or more um, party, fun, good-feeling, vibey-type music. And then some can be that, but also maybe a little bit more once you scratch the surface. So I guess I always appreciate when there's a little bit of that and then you can kind of dive deeper into it. But
0: I think the big thing that I look for... When looking at pop music, is just how much it burrows into your brain in terms of just the catchy right, melodies yeah. of it. Yeah, I think upon first listening to this album, I didn't see a ton of that, but the more and more I I return to it, I guess the catchier it feels. Yeah, but it, it's not like some of the the big pop songs that I that I know that like the second you hear it, you just can't stop singing it in your head.
1: Yeah, I wonder if that's because you hear those as singles to begin with. Like I would imagine most of those that you're talking about like you heard individually and weren't just like listening to an album and then it came up and you're like, oh, that's that's the song that's the right. catchiest. Yeah, yeah. So I listened, I think, to like at least two or three of the singles before this album came out. And I feel like some of the catchier ones were the singles. So maybe that it made more like it, I was already um, exposed to those being the earworm type tracks or whatever.
0: Well, should we just dive in and talk through some of the highlights of this?
1: Yeah. I guess I'll first just say, because I I think it's important just to mention the the intro track. It's pretty short, but it's titled The Gate. And it kind of starts off in this really, like, ethereal, spiritual-sounding kind of atmosphere. And it's pretty much just an intro track to get you into the feeling of the album. Yeah, it sets a pretty good
0: tone. That You said off-mic that it sounds kind of like Enya.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because it still has elements of this moving forward, but I think it gets a lot more into the pop realm, obviously. But I think this... It's a good mind space to start in because of the... It lets you know initially it's not going to be your typical pop album. It's worth mentioning before you go into track number three, New Normal.
0: Yeah, so this was the first track that stood out to me. Just that whatever the... If that steel guitar or whatever that intro thing is. Yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting.
1: Like a twangy guitar. And then it has also like a dancehall type bass beat to it. I don't know. Right feeling it, you from long ago from deep
0: it's a pretty repetitive song in terms of the the melody of her vocals but every like 20 to 30 seconds it like changes key
1: Yeah, and each little you're talking about the little parts of it, it's like I think lyrically they're kinda of like all different scenes and these like little mini chorus or little mini verses throughout. Absolutely, because it's the the vocal melody is very repetitive,
0: although they're changing keys, but the instrumentation behind her changes each each time she repeats this uh, this melody.
1: I wrote that I thought it was pretty mature pop songwriting on this because of all the elements we talked about. It's just totally. Definitely different from what I normally hear. I really liked the next song, number four, called "Hit Me Where It Hurt.
0: There's something kind of trappy about this this whole yeah, that's like
1: track. a trap beat behind it. But I feel like it's a really interesting way to use one. Listening to pop music,
0: what I'm mostly looking for is is those catchy things, and and this song really
1: grabbed me. And I like her. She has like a pretty cool like lazy delivery on these verses. It's much more like uh, talk singing than her normal like really melodic stuff and has some really cool woozy like woozy synths in the background too. Another thing we will probably keep talking about this, but there's just even throughout each song it seems like there's so much varied instrumentation that's Kind of atypical for a pop song, and I think that's why a lot of it is so interesting to me because it still has the sound and feel of them for the most part, but it's providing it's kind of like a lot in its Sonic's landscape or whatever.
0: Totally agree, and I really like the way she utilizes her voice as a background instrument. Oh, yeah. A lot of the background vocals are really cool, and some of the just like oohs and ahs that are put in.
1: So the next track is titled, I Give Up, and I think first it just, from the end of track four, I think it has a really cool transition into this one. It's a lot more minimal, and it reminds me of a a band called Darkside that I love their album. I think it's titled Psychic, but they have uh, these really cool guitar sounds and like this minimal percussion in a lot of their tracks. Um, and they experiment with a lot of electronic stuff. Their like signature guitar sound and percussion kind of sounds like this. And I love the lyric. Now I know what it means to unravel, and the way she delivers that is awesome. I do feel like the uh, the minimalist pop song is not
0: a super common thing. Production that isn't terribly overproduced,
1: right, or compact or crowded, right, is is really good. And I think this is a great example of it. Caroline said, I think it was on some sort of Instagram post or maybe a response so it looks like there's a direct quote that says the album is sequenced narratively uh, side a is descent through apathy longing and fear side b is reascent towards revelation humor and trust obviously this song is titled i give up but getting more kind of deep into those themes yeah.
0: And that's something I struggle with is looking at albums as a narrative unless it's slapping you in the face with it. <laughs> and so, Well,
1: luckily she just told us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I really like track number 8, Ocean of Tears. Yeah. I think this is one of the singles. Another example, looking at a pop song, I think that the hook is pretty catchy and, and the vocals on it are pretty
1: wild. Yeah, the chorus on this track's insane.
0: But that uh, falsetto after the the main chorus yeah, it's like a post chorus thing. Yeah, it's, like, it's very M eighty three, right? It's like Red this the, yeah. big
1: synthie rock sound. has like this like big chimy metal sound. So the following track, number nine, uh, is titled Hey Big Eyes. Not Hey Big Guys, Chicken and Rice, but Hey Big Eyes.
0: <laughs> I love me some Big Guys Chicken and Rice. <laughs> me too. Located in Deep Ellum, <laughs> Dallas, Texas.
1: <laughs> I feel like this one has kind of a, the tone shifted quite a bit on, on this song. Um, and it almost has like kind of a happy, it sounds like, she, to me, it sounds like she made it through a storm and the sun is coming back out uh, or Yeah, like the clouds
0: are parting <laughs> yeah. as, as exactly. these little, uh... I don't even know what that instrument is,
1: The it's just it's maybe a harpsichord, but I think this is one where the chorus reminds me of Image and Heap quite a bit, but I love the production on this track, and then when the bass comes in at like a minute and 32 seconds, it's a really nice touch. Me yeah, there's just quite a, a lot that kind of comes in to this song, even just like a, a beat comes in for a while too. I think that the ending is really great and everything, all the parts come together beautifully. Right, it it really builds, swells. Ends up being like an Imogen Heap mixed with Moby song. Right. (laughs)
0: Track number 10 called Go as a Dream was one that stood out to me mostly for its instrumentation. Yeah. I really love how bouncy and lighthearted it is. Uh, I think I described it to you as like playing hopscotch on clouds.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I think it is. I mean, it's titled Go as a Dream. It's very dreamy and feels kind of like you're floating and has like a magical dreamlike feel from the plucking. At first, I couldn't even
0: really tell what time signature it was in because of the those kind of plucking you know the strings whether it's a harp or I don't even really know what instrument it is yeah are just so kind of disparate and like they feel almost random i mean they they are to the beat for sure but um mm-hmm. if you're counting, you know, the one, two, three, four. They're they're on random it's not the typical, you know, ones and threes or right, twos and right. fours that, that most pop music adheres to.
1: I really love the the third verse of this song. I think it's the lyrics are great and the way it transitions from that verse into the chorus. It's one of those where the like the verse ends in an and and then the chorus is like finishes the sentence. Like uh Arcade Fire does that amazingly on uh wake up as well oh yeah when it, i guess we'll just have to adjust and it goes into the but it says it and it hit me like a brick a joke without a punchline a script that nobody read if you saw me lying here through my bedroom ceiling you would have to pick up my head and go as a dream So I think number 12 is the most dancey track on this album. And that sure. was definitely put me in that sort of like 80s synth pop fun vibe. And it just has like kind of a funny, lighthearted uh, sentiment. And, and the lyrics are, uh, you're so hot, you're hurting my feelings.
0: We mentioned Haim earlier. I think this is the track that when we were off mic sounds a lot like that group.
1: Yeah, the the chorus, right? For sure. The, that, that, that first line lonely.
0: going right into it. Exactly.
1: but I do like those vocal effects on the, the
0: chorus too. I like the use of guitar on this track. Mm-hmm. It, that's what really solidifies that like 1980s sound. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I just feel like it's the one that you play loud with your windows down at night sign so kind of, that maybe you might see in a, uh, a teen movie or something. Absolutely, that, the like vocal solo, Yeah, that's really cool. Like the uh, runaway style. So this next track called Door, track number 13, has a pretty cool kind of like distanced intro and then and then the verses I feel like are really kind of down to earth like storytelling. Check me down, do you? To ten laps around the planet to prove what I was and then it has this part where it sounds like it goes into a, a memory or something for a second. When you leave house of judgment. But the production elements on this track are just so varied. I think it's it's one of my favorite tracks for sure. It's one of my I think it's one of my favorite songs this year. Really? Yeah. Just the way that she kind of plays. Around with melodies on this track, but I'm kind of all over. It's just really creative songwriting. The pre-chorus on this is just uh, back in the city. I'm just another girl in a sweater.
0: That first line really captivated me. That yeah. back in the city, I'm just another girl in a sweater. Yeah, that's all. I'm, I really like this song. I think the hook is is catchy as hell. Yeah.
1: The way it repeats.
0: That I open the door to another door to another door makes me think of like time travel or like these portals to different dimensions. It's just like it's very almost like Rick and Morty, but not at all (laughs) in terms of the uh, tone. But uh, you know, or or you know what uh, it kind of makes me think of is that uh, what's that movie? It was a Madeline Lingle book, A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, there's just some sort of sci-fi, time-travel-y, interdimensional <laughs> feeling to this whole...
1: Yeah. It's th- y- yes, supported by the, the sound of it, for sure. Yeah. Track number 14 is titled Parachute. It's, again, not one of my like favorite songs or one that I'll return to a lot, but I do think it's kind of a stunning ending song to this uh, album. Final track. I think it really creates a stunning atmosphere and... I was pretty like floored by the vocals, especially after you get like halfway through the track. But it's called Parachute, and it sounds like it's kind of someone floating and uh, looking down below them. I'll just get into this now, because it's that time anyways, but this was my first happy tears moment. Right at the end. On the album, right at the end. Um, And I think it's some of what she's doing vocally, and then also what kind of how she delivers the final part of this track. But she hits this super high note that sounds pretty blissful and then it just fades away and it's more towards the end and it was just stunning and I started creeping. How it just fades out in the instrumentation in the background is, is perfect and the way she ends the lyrics in her vocal tone gets more grounded and she kind of descends and uh, The melody too and it says closing in on the sparkle of waves go on take me it will feel like going home go on take me i'm not afraid to drown what is this pulling me back the other way the strip malls highways and treetops landing on the soft ground we talked about how the album kind of has like there's like floating moments on the album or whatever I thought it was a really cool way to end on the like the final line of the album, being like returning to the ground and her doing that vocally is I think a super cool technique that she used. Absolutely, it de- it
0: definitely does give you this sense that right at the that final vocal note is feet touching. Yeah, down.
1: yeah, that's a, that's what I thought was super cool about it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: The end kind of grounds her. It's cool. Yeah, it's great. And that was your big happy tears moment. It felt like I was in a different
0: world for a minute. Yeah. Cool. I did not have any happy tears with this album, but I did enjoy it. Especially, honestly, anytime I have these conversations with you, I think you do a really good job of explaining the things that you like about music, and it always makes me like it better. Because <laughs> I usually come into these conversations thinking, yeah, I think it's pretty good, and there's a couple specific things I could point to or speak to, but just that conversation about Parachute, really really makes me appreciate it more than when I listen to it on my own
1: yeah well I feel the same way coming in and when we listen together and discover things or I hear things that you tell me that I didn't hear before but yeah I, I'm a huge huge fan of this album I'll, I'll keep listening to it a lot it's my probably my favorite pop release of the year or you know whatever uh sub of pop you want to put it in um and I'd love to see how she how she goes about playing these
0: yeah, I think I really, I do like this album. I think Maggie Rogers and Lizzo both edged it out for me in the pop realm, obviously two very different albums, but I think all some they're all some version of, of pop records. Mm-hmm.
1: One thing I think that I have changed the way I've listened to music over the past few years is just like really trying to pick out each individual part of a song, but also think about how those different elements were made or constructed. And from those things, I've, There's different parts of songs that I get excited about or have this sense of wonder about or feel like curious about because I connect with it in that certain way or from that kind of mindset that I used to not as much. It was more of like, you know, I would always try to read the lyrics or how does this song make me feel? But I still do both of those things. But I do a lot more of like, I don't know, really just digging in and trying to figure out how, how they were made and stuff. So I know we were talking the other day about i said i would just try to listen to continuum all the way through just just mainly trying to pick out the bass parts throughout the whole thing and how yeah. it kind of supports those songs but i think those are fun practices too if you just like pick something that you want to focus on through through a whole album anyways yeah i was i do i do like that lizzo album just in a in a different way i think
0: this album dropped october 18th yep. so it's still pretty fresh definitely recommended by both of us yeah we both liked it it Mom, you're just in time for supper, dear. You're not my
1: mother. My mother doesn't have but buttons Do you like them? I'm your other mother, silly. You
0: probably think this world is a dream come true.
1: My name! But you're wrong. You do like it here, don't you, Coraline? You could stay here forever.
0: There's one tiny little thing we need to do. Black is traditional.
1: All right, moving on from Caroline to a little girl named Coraline.
0: A little girl named Coraline. Yes, we we were discussing what to uh, cover in our episode that's the closest to Halloween.
1: Yep, spooky
0: season. Spooky season is in full effect. Nick is not the biggest spooky boy no. around.
1: He's a big scaredy boy. But if I say, hey, Nick, there's some Neil Gaiman and there's some stop motion animation.
0: Yeah, and I was like, "All right." And in a beautiful display of word association, we put Caroline Polachek's album next to Coraline, as well as the calendar lining up. I guess.
1: Yeah, I'm happy about it. I don't know if Nick is. I'm okay with it now.
0: <laughs> I was hesitant going in, but I do like the album. But and, he had and nothing better like to movie. throw at
1: me, so we went with it.
0: Well, and I'd never
1: seen Coraline. Yeah, so it made sense. So it was. Have you had you seen it before? I have. Yeah. Okay. I remember seeing it. Um. I was I was pretty spooked when I saw it first time. Yeah, because it came out around two thousand nine. Yeah, it's ten years. That's another reason we're like it's ten years down the road. This is a the big start for Leica, their first feature length. The description from the Leica Studios webpage is this: Wandering her rambling old house in her boring new town, Coraline, voiced by Dakota Fanning, discovers a hidden door to a fantasy version of her life. In order to stay in the fantasy, she must make a frighteningly Real sacrifice.
0: This was directed and written for screen by Henry Selick and obviously based on the novella entitled Coraline by Neil Gaiman. Correct. I like Neil Gaiman. I'm in the middle of reading his like legendary comic book run of The Sandman, mm-hmm. which is really, really great. Um, and I'm interested. You know, I've watched some of the uh, Good Omens. Yeah. And I know you've read some of his stuff and watched some of that. Right. So that's where my interest in this stems from to begin with. Plus I think Coraline as time goes on, I think people look back on it even more and more fondly than maybe when it came out.
1: Yeah, and uh so the director Henry Selick also directed James and the Giant Peach and there's some similarities uh for sure I think between those two films and then uh he also directed Nightmare Before Christmas. So he had experience with these stop motion animation uh films. And originally this was supposed to be a live action film with Dakota Fanning and they made the decision, I think Henry Selick thought it was going to, you know, be more effective if he can make it into a uh, stop motion animation film. So
0: we got one of those. I think it's really a great decision that they made. For sure. Growing up, I wasn't a huge stop motion fan because there is something a little, disorienting isn't the right word, but you know, the motion of it is obviously not hundred percent natural to where you can sort of mimic in regular animation and mm-hmm. obviously live action is normal. But the older I get, the more I just consider what it takes to create this. Yeah, it's, it's just just incredible yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Did you uh have you seen Marion Max? No. It's another stop motion one that will, I believe, bring you to happy tears. Oh if you choose to to if you choose to go there. Yeah, if you choose to go down the It town. is uh more adult kind of uh, I guess more catered towards adults and has some pretty serious content but there's a lot of really goofy and funny moments in it too but it's um it is very good and i highly recommend it claymation so for sure but i think that came out like a year before this but it's interesting that there was that there was kind of more uh catered towards adults and then this came out and brought the style again back to kind of a more for younger folks but i mean obviously for everyone but i know it was kind of it's pg movie Right.
0: So. As I mentioned, this is my first time watching this. Yeah. As an almost 30 year old.
1: This movie's just really good. It's really great.
0: Yeah. Very, it's very cute at times. It can't, it is kind of scary at times, but I was able to keep it together. Watched it alone at night. Good. With uh, all the lights on. With all the lights off. <laughs> <laughs> I think, had I seen this as a kid, I think I would have been mostly okay.
1: Yeah. I love, I remember loving this when I first saw it, and I, I love it this time too. And I, I think I just focused a lot more on the process and just I caught a lot more like visual things or just technique that wowed me, I think, during this. Like I said in the description, and one of the things that I really love about what they did with this movie is they make this house that Caroline moves into. Coraline. Coraline. (laughs) Aha! You're like the people. Uh, This house that Coraline moves into, very kind of drab and gross, and her parents aren't really paying attention to her, and this town just feels like it's lacking color and charm, and it's kind of a reflection of how Coraline feels uh, about her surroundings, that she doesn't have people to, you know, play with, and her parents aren't really paying attention to her, so she gets curious and goes, uh, discovers this door that ends up being this magical tunnel into kind of the same... Environment, but a much more vibrant one
0: version. Yeah, version of it. Just like a alternate dimension, almost the flip side of that coin. Right.
1: Yeah. The way that they show both of those, I think, is is super cool. Because, like, obviously, they've they've made all of these items on a like a miniature set to you know film all of the stop motion. So you know what goes into like the actual you know painting and um, making all of the clothing and all of this stuff. It's I think worth checking out. There's a behind the scenes video, and there might be more than one that you watched but yeah. it just gives you a little glimpse into what went into this and i think they filmed it for 18 months and they show you just a little bit of the techniques that they used uh, i remember one that stood out was like the shower turning on oh well, it was super cool yeah that was awesome and how they uh made those kind of uh out of i don't know what would you call them it's like
0: spaghetti right isn't it like uh
1: yeah like sharp like plastic spaghetti shards or something yeah yeah it was um pretty crazy but when there's a scene where Corline turns on the the water in the bathtub hoping it's a bath water and out comes shower water on her head yeah and just knowing they have to create so many different pieces because they're filming it frame by frame is just really nuts
0: just them talking about the amount of hands that they had to make because they uh, they just break right because right. there's so many of them and they're small and brittle and
1: or how many versions of each character they like, like there's the like 28 Coralines or something right um, and just like
0: they showed a shot of a bunch of faces and it was like that's one line of dialogue like oh my god <laughs> just the you know the amount of the amount of work that goes yeah. into that is just
1: yeah um, one thing I really loved was them uh, like how they they framed a lot of these scenes like just really interesting compositions I think like either of the staircase or inside the house or some of like the circus scenes there's a lot of like shots from kind of Tilted from above, or things that just make this place seem like a really magical and, you know, off kilter kind of uh, world. For sure. And I thought Coraline was really well developed. And a lot of, you know, Disney movies or whatever, just kid movies in general, don't do a lot to really develop the main characters and things that they would be frustrated with. I thought this did a good job at showing why she was motivated to go into this alternate reality in the first place and
0: yeah well one thing that struck me as I was watching was I don't know how much the timing of the release of this film played into it especially cuz I know that uh the book came out like 10 years before maybe or 8 years before but this movie came out right after the like financial collapse of 2008 and and the way I read it was the family's struggling they're in kind of what looks like sort of low income housing they're in a part of town or in a, in a House that it's a big it's house, big. but it's shared by a it, lot of it's people. It's shared, and it and it just seems like they don't have a you know like it, it's an old house. It's not very luxurious, right? You know, both of her parents are just like so engrossed in their work, and there's times when they don't have any groceries. Like it just seems like they they're a family that's struggling, and uh, I think a lot of Coraline's motivation is to she's got to she doesn't have a lot to work with, and you know, mm-hmm. toy wise or or things to do in real life, so part of the whole plot of this is her just using her imagination to go on this journey basically.
1: Yeah, but I think a lot of it also stems from her thinking that there's I don't know, it's like the grass is always greener on the other side kind of scenario because the world she goes into has is very vivid and magical but also contains several dark elements that I think she kind of through that whole process whether this world is just, you know, in her mind like working through her subconscious or whatever kind of learning about herself and to be uh grateful and we could talk a little bit more about what I think the big themes are later but sure but yeah i think the opening shot or like sequence the the music goes perfectly with it it's kind of like a a choir and a, the music really throughout the film i think fits really nicely but they i think it's like from the beginning it captivates you because you're seeing this kind of like surgery happening um with fabric and with this doll and immediately i was just struck by how like the precision and i think just the craftsmanship is apparent right from the beginning because you see the actual like tactile um process of sewing and you know that like you see the fabrics up close and you know those are real fabrics and right like this sort of thing is happening uh, that that craft has been used for this film i think it was a really cool way to show like just the really, really tiny fabrics and stuff.
0: Yeah, and it's appropriately creepy, like the way... Oh, well for sure. When the doll is basically hollowed
1: out. Yeah, right? it's like being sliced open in like little uh, kind of like quick and creepy ways the stuffing's getting taken out. Right, and exactly, and it's just like this empty shell. is. And Yeah, yeah and it's like a claw, a needle claw doing this. <laughs> right, generally. yeah, and that's... So you don't know don't, what to think or... To, you right, know. and you're thinking about that and what that is throughout the film. So I guess we can maybe just discuss some of our you know, favorite Moments of the film.
0: The first moment that really blew me away. I mean, all of the, the craftsmanship at the at the beginning was all really good. You know, the first time I was I was really captivated was that first moment that you see the little tunnel that leads to this other world, the the different colors and the way they animated it, it was just it's gorgeous, like those shoots, breathtaking.
1: breathtaking. The shoots as a kid, I feel like do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? I that know. you <laughs> could like expand and they're like like nylon tunnels or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the magic or whatever you felt in that moment i think is so cool uh, it reminds me a lot of like what you have to do in in the theater like to make kind of like these really magical practical effects um that you have to use real materials and lighting and because i've been in you know several plays where i've just been absolutely wowed by what kind of creativity went into the practical things that they do to kind of um take your breath away or whatever they use those types of techniques and this too because they're you know filming this in a with real materials as well
0: because this story is kind of this fantastic i guess journey even though she doesn't like go anywhere but you know what i mean like those elements of otherworldliness were the big highlights for me and that was the first time that i was really blown away by the the lighting and the and the colors and and it was just so uh it was really captivating
1: Cool. Yeah. It's similar in that way, I think, to like Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. I just kept thinking the animation is just so cool. And this, you know, is the first feature link from the studio. And they've done some really cool work since in like Paranorman. And and I love Kubo and the Two Strings as well. Yeah. It's great. One of the first things that just wowed me was like the spinning piano crazy scene with her other father. Yeah. (laughs) Where he's singing this Coraline song to her. And just the way it's filmed and it's really. Disorienting, and these gloves are kind of playing, are extended, and like these big arms. With the dad puts his hands in the gloves, and the piano plays for him. Yeah,
0: I think he says, I don't play the piano.
1: This piano plays me. Making up about Coraline.
0: She's a peach, she's a doll, she's a pal. I'm a big fan of John Hodgman, who plays her father and her other father. Mm hmm. He's also known for being the PC in the Mac or PC commercials.
1: (laughs) That's great. Another note I just had, it was just a simple thing, but like there's just a scene where she's at the table, you know, for dinner with her family and she's just like spinning a spoon on the table and it doesn't really have anything to do with the scene besides her like being annoyed or whatever. But it's just like the little thing, like the amount of time that went into them filming her just spinning a spoon from being annoyed. And it's the thing that kids do right it's like messing with what's in front of them it's just like just the attention to detail was just pretty mind-blowing absolutely and I know we keep talking about that but it's pretty noticeable all the way through
0: I think it's a good story and I think it's pretty heartfelt the appeal is the painstaking craftsmanship that you know goes into it at least for me Yeah, Not to say that I wasn't emotionally invested because I totally was.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like, yeah, a lot of the reason you are is because of this world that's created that is so engaging and it's from the craftsmanship, right? Totally. Are there any, you know, big scenes? I know there's some particularly grand scenes in here that play out in the other world that you want to talk about? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So in my mind, there are three big sequences in the other world that were just incredible sequences in terms of how they did that right right, (laughs) you know just as a stop motion scene the first one is when the garden comes to life just a beautiful majestic and magical sequence where the use of color and light is just so great yeah and it's just so otherworldly and kind of alien but in a warm way
1: yep like you said in that particular scene it's just the lighting like they had to figure out how to do all of these things practically and you know had people a designated role might have been pretty detailed and and they're working on just a small amount of the film or whatever but producing a ton of either just like grass or plants or whatever and I thought that particular scene was pretty magical
0: one of the behind the scenes videos shows a uh, set
1: designer
0: you said designers or I don't know what his actual title is yeah. but he his his job is to like figure out a way to make the flower that opens up on its own you know and he he finds they found a dog toy at the at the grocery store or whatever and that yeah. was what they what they use yeah they use that really as cool.
1: a device it's amazing yeah they practically saw something in that and then cut it up and made it work for the film and then it shows the part of the film they use it in it's yeah it's like oh that's a dog toy there.
0: yeah it's crazy the garden scene is the first really mind-blowing otherworldly yeah uh, transformative scene and then the second one to me is the uh the big performance of the mice the like Jumping mice. Yeah, the circus Uh, mice. Circus mice, yeah. It's just crazy how they choreographed all those, you know, there's so many little figures that are bouncing around. And And
1: on top of each other and all of these, it must have been... uh, Yeah, I don't know how long they spent just filming that scene alone, but it seems like it would take forever.
0: Just an incredible sequence from a technical standpoint that was, you know, even if it was just animated uh, through traditional... 3D or 2D animation, I would have been like, wow, that was really crazy. And the fact that they did that all practically with real-life puppets is mind-blowing. And then the third sequence that really blew me away was the fantastic uh, performance by the two older burlesque ladies. Yeah. (laughs) They performed for uh, Coraline and all w- of the yb Scotties. and then all the <laughs> the scottish terriers
1: <laughs> which they had to make all of those right,
0: right. and they show uh, god that behind the scenes video yeah. is really great because they showed the little like they had a little mechanism um, that that just made all of their heads like bounce around and it looks like real dogs yeah it's probably
1: know. like a wind up more like a music box type. The functionality was like that and you would just yeah. turn it and there was a, uh, all of them would kind of move in this mechanical way. It's great.
0: So yeah, so those three sequences really showed, it was almost like showing off, right? Like those showed the technical acumen of these craftsmen and, and were just, they just really shined for me while watching the film.
1: Yeah, I think those are the seem like big pieces in the, in the film. They all occur in the, the other world, right? Yes, Yeah, these, like, really grand performances. I just think it's a fun thing to put these, like, circus acts or, like... I've always found those kind of fascinating, and I imagine from a kid's perspective, it's a lot to look at. There's a spectacle of it. I'm thinking of, like, A Bug's Life... James and the Giant Peach, I believe, as well. But they're always just really fun scenes for me to watch. Yeah.
0: Dumbo, if you want to go old school. I can't. I haven't seen it in so long. I know it was like set in a circus. Right, I don't know right. how much theatrics there was around it.
1: So I feel like the third act kind of gets a little creepy. I think starting off, at least for me, well, we could say spoiler alert here, but it's 10 years later. So with her other mother growing into this really large and creepy looking creature.
0: Yeah, and that's pretty crazy, especially when you think about this being a stop motion. Like, how do they do that? Do they build a totally new puppet for each Size split or... second of that metamorphosis? That's just crazy. That right. blew my mind.
1: Yeah, and the way that they show, yeah, that metamorphosis is super cool, but also very creepy because it turns from a normal-looking mother besides her buttons for eyes yeah. uh, into some, like, tall, disproportioned Corello DeVille-type character.
0: Yeah, the whole scene when she gets thrown inside the mirror, trapped inside the mirror... Yeah. ...was uh, both scary and sad and probably, for me, one of the mo- more emotional parts of the, the film.
1: Yeah. I thought another one that was just really striking visually was that little kind of black-and-white net type oh, yeah. scene. Oh, the, the
0: big kind of action climax. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that... Again, I, I know I keep coming back to the technical aspects of it. It's just crazy how they did that, but also so visually striking because it is black and white as opposed to this world at one point was colorful and vibrant Mm -hmm. and now it's uh it's almost like a blank
1: page i do think that the film does have something pretty interesting to say about one just imagination and what you can use it for and then also two just if you look at the other world as a Kind of a fantasy representation of what you want this world to be instead right of kind of like the grass is always greener on the other side trope is like she experiences that and there's still there's still negatives that come about and and that land and, it, and it's like in one sense it's a tale of like finding wonder and joy in your current circumstance or whatever But I think it's also um, kind of like an affirmation for young people to, like, one, be courageous in, like, the moments that she was and, like, working through these, like, inner turmoils or desires. But I think, too, of, like, that even young people have the ability or agency to change their inner thoughts and attitudes and affect the world around them, even in, you know, dire or just annoying or unwanted circumstances like all of the things like even though you're young you still have the ability to make a difference kind of thing or like change how you look at things or find the positives or those types of things
0: right like the the saying that i can't control others actions i can only control my attitude or reactions or whatever
1: yeah and for me that gets a little tropey and like just a platitude but i think the way it explores that sort of idea in the movie, I think, is super effective and engaging for adults, but also like it's visually engaging for kids. And hopefully, they—I um, don't know if they would describe it that way—but hopefully, get they get the message. I don't know that I had the
0: quite the nuanced takeaway that you did and I think that's just because you're smarter than me no. but
1: <laughs> um, no I just I think I've thought about that particular point for and kind of dwelled on that for a while because like for me I was just trying to figure out what the other world represented right right and so the thing that came to mind was that it represented what Coraline desired her now to be or like her situation now to be but then ultimately realizing that she kind of has the abil- ability to create lots of those positive feelings on her own. And then by doing that, her parents seem to change their, even their attitude towards her. And I was like, anytime you give kids a little more agency and give them like trust that they can do something on their own or have the ability to make a, make a difference, I think is, is a cool message,
0: I guess. I totally agree. And there may be something to the, the, you said the grass is always greener. I almost think of when we think of the perfect life, how kind of hollow that that would turn out to actually be and that there is um, there are real benefits to struggle or imperfect circumstances. You right. Know?
1: And, I mean, when we think about how those things would be different for us, we don't think about what new problems arise because of those differences right. <laughs> or whatever. There's always going to be something else that, you know, comes up and becomes the problems that you focus on or dwell on. But
0: Tell me about your happy tears moments.
1: I think there might be only one that I have marked up here, at least, was that I had some creep and happy tears when Coraline like makes her parents out of pillows.
0: That's, that's exactly <laughs> my... I didn't,
1: I didn't full on creep. Like I didn't
0: really <laughs> manifest any real tears of any kind, but that was the most emotionally engaging part for me too. So Yeah.
1: So this is something that I thought about as well. We can call those uh, close calls. Damn. <laughs> I love that. So we're kind of building up some happy tears vocabulary over here. Happy terms. Happy terms, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, close call I think can be one of them.
0: I'm going to explore this more on on our social media, but we've I mean we've got creepin, we've got weepin. At one point I think we used streakin, which was a suggestion from a listener. I think close calls is great. I think happy tear jerker is is <laughs> something that we've said in the past. So we've got we're we're building a glossary of happy terms, and I think that a close call is uh, just absolutely and we,
1: and we always encourage more of those because we can't do it ourselves. Yeah. Help us out. But yeah, that particular moment um, when she's trying to, you know, Coraline over the course of the movie, like at the beginning, she's like a typical kid and she has, well, her, her parents aren't paying much attention to her. And so she's curious and kind of explores but she also she gets frustrated and has an attitude sometimes and kind of wears this tough skin even when when she meets one of the characters her age it's just sad seeing like she gets really vulnerable in this that one scene where she's scared and she lets that show and i think they do that kind of beautifully and it fits with the creation of this film because what the creators are doing are, are making these characters out of materials and everything and then They make that character that they made make something that represents her father and mother out of pillows and puts glasses on them so they can you know comfort her while she's sleeping. A soft and emotional moment.
0: Yeah, she like cries herself to sleep. It's it's that was that was it for me too. I didn't really have any other moments. There were other emotionally engaging moments, but this, as you have beautifully (laughs) coined, was a great close call.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, close call.
0: (laughs) Glad I finally caught up with this uh, 10 years later. I don't know if you'd call it a classic, but I think it is it is a pretty loved film
1: by those that... I think that... it will go down as... Just kind of in the canon, at least, as one of the ones that started... I mean, it was the first of kind of, of its kind because it was, a, I think, the first stop motion in 3D, I believe. Really? I think we'll see more from Laika that's, that's really great, and it's it differs so much from what we see from Pixar, and it's like it sets itself apart, so... At least in that, I think it's kind of cemented itself into the animated canon.
0: Yeah, I mean, we continue to see every couple of years, and it's usually this company, Leica, that does does a a stop motion thing, and and they're usually pretty breathtaking. We both mentioned Kubo and the Two Strings, which I I was blown away by uh, from a
1: couple of years ago. So. Right. Yeah, the action sequences in, in that film are just breathtaking. Yeah. So yeah, another one we we both recommend, and it's great. You can. By the time this comes out, you still have a little time to catch it while spooky season is yep in full swing. It's on Netflix. That's it is on Netflix. It. Very accessible. Uh, if you've seen it, it's, I think, worth another visit, especially if it's been 10 years. I think you will find new appreciation in it.
0: And really, that's about as spooky as we're going to get this year. <laughs> uh, we'll see how, how the lighthouse is. We're going to cover that in the coming weeks. The lighthouse and both Parasite are... are some films that are on the docket for us so uh, we might get a little spooky with the lighthouse it looks like it from the trailer at least yep and then maybe next year for spooky season i'll grow a (laughs) pair
1: anyways i do think a good question for this week might be are there any films or scenes from films that scared you as a kid for me it's probably
0: when i first saw the original it
1: yeah Oh, wow.
0: Absolutely terrifying.
1: I was, yeah, I was scared in that too, but I watched it with a bunch of other kids. I
0: was alone. Which is
1: like the perfect, if you think about it, like just such a funny crowd watching. Oh, God. uh, That film and how it is so, it's just kids in the movie. So I was very scared by the Candyman and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang.
0: I've never seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, wow. That's another blind spot for me. Dang but I
1: have heard... That, and um, I specifically remember being terrified by Hocus Pocus. And, <laughs> and really? it's like, a well, I think it's because I'm not sure if it was in the moment, but I had like a recurring dream after it that I was kind of in the same position as a character in the film and couldn't like... I was like screaming, but I couldn't vocalize anything. Yeah. And I had that recurring dream, and so that connection with Hocus Pocus is, is very terrifying to me. Yeah. So well, do you want to limit it to like a
0: like 10 years old-ish and younger. Yeah, so for me, it's definitely it. And there's more. I mean, there's a million. I I was a scared child. I'm still scared (laughs) of the dark. Yeah. So you don't know what's out there. That's right. What's under the bed? What's in the closet? What's downstairs? Stop. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a good question. So yeah, um, listeners, please
1: hit us up. Movies or uh, if it was like a television Special or something that scared you as a kid. And if you remember this specific scene, tell us about that.
0: You can always leave us a voicemail at happytearspod.com as well as hit us up on the gram or on the Facebook. So, yeah, Caroline and Coraline. Great pairing. We did it. All right. Well, we're done now. Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find more information as well as this episode's show notes at happytearspod.com. You can also find us on Instagram at happytearspodcast. Nick is at Melita Graham and Brandon is at Mr. Brandon Henry. You can follow us on Facebook by liking the Happy Tears Podcast Facebook page. We are always looking for feedback. Our question this week is what film, or film scene I guess, scared you the most as a kid, right Brandon?
1: I believe that's it. Okay. <laughs> Original theme music by Homage. You can check his music out at youtube.com slash We also have a Spotify playlist. Uh, we'd love for you to check it out. And it is titled happy tears mixtape where we throw a lot of the songs we talk about on here and some recommendations we have
0: if you would be so kind as to rate us and review us on apple Podcasts, that is a huge thing for us to
1: grow and find new listeners Yeah, we see those ratings accumulating, and that's very encouraging. So thank you all who have done it. So join the movement. Join the crusade. (laughs) I'm going to call this a crusade, too. Well, until next time, I'm Brandon. And
0: I'm Nick. Farewell! Farewell!